Viper Voice, episode 58. This is a show all about Pokemon's video game championship series. I am your host, Stephen Morioka, and today I am joined once again by Alex Underhill. I am your co-host, Alex Underhill. That's right, everybody. Alex is here, and welcome to our season two finale. We are pretty much wrapping up the 2019 season here. Uh, technically, that did end with Worlds already, but you know, with the months and stuff, it's just nice to align it. And uh, we're going to do some more recap of the 2019 World Championships here. Yeah, and we're also going to just break down the whole season in general, uh, as well as talk about some other small things, uh, just to kind of conclude things before we move on to VGC 2020. That's right, and while the 2020 season starts, has, you know, technically already started, um, officially with all the points being gained and stuff with the Open, and, uh, you know, just kind of the qualification period is always, you know, lagging behind every season now, but it's okay. 2020 season's coming. We're going to start with Ultra Series for the fall and for the rest of 2019, and we'll eventually get to Sword and Shield, but for now, let's uh, hop back to the World Championships. Let's talk some more about the teams a little bit. A uh, little bit. We had uh, Aaron Trailer on last time, and he talked a great deal about his team, and Alex, we heard about your team, which um, I see was also used by some other players, both in day one and on Justin Burns. You can see in the standings from day two as well, used a another uh, used the similar team or same team rather. But I want to just talk about you know some of the odd Pokemon we saw up here, some of the teams we saw, and uh, some of the restricted Pokemon as well. I guess one of the things uh, that I can admit right away is how I wasn't super confident with Yveltal or uh, Ultra Necrozma. Um, Heading into Ultra Nec well, uh, Duskmane Necrozma, heading into Worlds, because I, d you know, just didn't believe in them, really. But, you know, there were a good sprinkle of them throughout the standings, and a good sprinkle of them who did well. And, uh, you know, we saw Necrozma in the finals, and Yveltal making top four in uh, the two Japanese players, as well as uh, Megan in top eight. And then uh, there's Necrozma uh, with Jamie Boyd's team, and I think that does it for the top cut. And then... They're also there in day two. But, Alex, thoughts? Yeah, so, um, I, it was kind of fun hearing you talk about Duskmane Necrozma and saying that you, you had a lot of doubts in it because it was my, one of my primary picks going into Worlds just because, uh, I mean, I, I settled on Solgaleo, but it was also a, a large consideration just using the same Z-move, Sunsteel Strike. But I think the players that had, uh, or what, Searing Sunray Smash, but um, the players that had success with it seem to be the ones using Ultra Necrozma, uh, which I think is really cool, uh, just because that form flexibility is so strong, so fun. I've uh, got to use it a bit uh, myself, and it's just very cool having the option to go between the two different forms. Um, and then my thoughts on, like, Eveltal. So I don't know too much about Kazuki's run, but Megan's run, uh, there was a lot of talk going around at the tournament how uh, she actually did not face any Metagross until making it into uh, top eight against... Um, Wait, you meant, believe... you meant Xerneas, right? What did I say? You meant Xerneas, right? Because you said Metagross. Yeah, I'm just staring right at the Metagross next to the Eveltal. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Apologies. <okay>. So, yeah. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. The uh, Megan I got worried uh, did a bit. not face like... <laughs> any other Xerneas until uh, top eight when she faced off against James Beck on stream. Um, and... Yeah, so... Evelzil, it's one of, I mean, she does have her ways to beat it, obviously, in that Metagross that is staring right back at me. And the uh, Amoongus, 
helping deal with it. But um, yeah, still, it's like a, a Pokemon that you got to watch out for because of how hard it invalidates one of your restricted duos and uh, one Pokemon of your restricted duo. And so um, I just think it brings up an interesting point, not to uh, bag on Megan's run because what she did is amazing. Uh, like that's super awesome that uh, she was able to make it to the top eight in Worlds. But uh, sometimes you just have to uh, luck out with runs. Like I, uh, like with, with the the matchups that you face, you have to like basically um, with any success story in Pokemon, um, you have to get at least a little bit lucky or have an absence of bad luck happening to you. And so, um, you know, I, I would say a small part of that is facing or having a good schedule, whether it's good matchups or playing against players that you are more familiar with the style of or better against. So, um, again, not trying to bag on Megan. It's just, uh, just very interesting to see, um, that, that's how Evelto's storyline ended up landing her in the top eight. I'm not sure exactly how uh, Kazuki's run went, though, for Evelto, but uh, this is my way of saying that I still don't think Evelto's a good pick, even though two of them made into the top eight. Yeah, they probably had, you know, uh, some favorable matches heading all the way up through there. Um, with all that being said, though, you know, not discrediting either player with their runs with Evelto, you know, obviously they were mm-hmm. very, did very well um, to get that far. Um, and, you know, another thing to add to all this is how you can't really, um, once your teams are locked in, you can't really control who you're paired up against. Um, I mean, you can always go into the crazy meta of saying, oh, well, you could have won this match and lost this match, and then you could have been paired against this player. But, you know, that's not a, you know, logical way to look at things. So it's uh, really just, you, you can't control that at that point. You can't control whether you're playing a certain matchup or not. So um, you just, you... Fight, play, battle against what uh, is in front of you, and that's what you do. And you're either going to win yeah, or lose. Yeah, Worlds so. is like a very limited scope tournament. While it's great to see, uh, you know, a really cool team win the World Championships, uh, no team that has ever won Worlds has been perfect. We've seen some very strong teams, like Worlds 2016 Wolf's team was absolutely phenomenal, especially for the tournament it was given. But no team is perfect, you know. Every team's going to have something that it doesn't want to see. It's just about making that call you know trying to find uh good matchups against the most common things and you can leave yourself weak to things that you don't expect to see whether it's eveltal necrozma dusk main or what have you but uh in the end you know every team is beatable and so um you're gonna have to hope that you just don't run into some of the more poor matchups and yeah that's just basically going to be the story of every bracket every world champion you see yeah even like just going back to what you were talking about on uh, the 2016 winning team that Wolf, Marcus, and uh, Barris all used together, that same team, um, you know, they all took set losses at some point in Swiss. So, um, you know, they the team was good, but, you know, no team is perfect, like I just said. And this also brings up another good point about just, like, the matchups you pair up against against Worlds. So this, um, this is a nice comparison. You can bring this all the way back to Ray Rizzo and his 2012 Worlds team. Uh, well, let's talk about his uh, Tyranitar on his team. Well, first off, I'll just list, list his six members he won with. Very pretty standard team. So he had uh, Tyranitar, Metagross, Cresselia, Hydreigon, Garchomp, and Rotom Wash. So on Ray's Tyranitar, it was a crunchless Tyranitar. So the moveset on there was Rock Slide, Fire Punch, Low Kick, and Protect. So he did not have Crunch on there, and the Fire Punch was there specifically for the Scizor matchup. 
which he admitted that he never faced a single scissor during that world's run, which ultimately he did go undefeated altogether with a 6-0 record in Swiss and then winning the top 8, 4, and finals. So to finish 9-0 and for that whole world's tournament, uh, again, only day one back then, or there's only one day of worlds back then, but it's just going to show you, you know, maybe if Raid played against a scissor then, you know, things could have played out differently. Who knows? But, um, yeah, so, yeah. It's, uh, all comes down to luck and what you end up playing against. So, um, these are things out of your control. You just, uh, go forth, forge your path forward. Yeah, one last comparison I wanted to make was that, uh, just looking at day two alone, if you are a player with a day two buy, for example, uh, you can make it into the top cut with a five and two record. And then from there, if you win out, um, you will have won a total of eight matches out of, uh, ten. And, uh, there are more than, I would say, eight archetypes in a format like this, where there are just so many different things you can face. And uh, in those ten, um, you only have to win eight of them. So you're not going to, you know, face every single archetype that you spent practicing against. So, for example, sometimes you might face Ray Ogres three times, and that's a team archetype you're very comfortable against, where, you know, something a little more obscure like Eveltal Kyogre, Maybe you had a really bad matchup against that, but you just dodged it all the way through because, you know, it's a very obscure matchup, you know. So, again, just got to make those calls. I think it's just really interesting to look at that and just kind of know that going in. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on really quick was uh, just at the time we were recording this, uh, you know, pulling the curtain back. Um, Jamie Boyd just released his team report today, uh, and I was very interested in reading about it because, I mean, who wouldn't be? His team is bizarre, as always, and... Uh, it was just really cool to see the process uh, behind. So I'm just kind of plugging that um, real quick. If you want to go check that out, Jamie broke down his team and explained, you know, why he made the choices he did. So many, uh, just yeah, just really really cool choices uh, and explaining how it all fit together. Really cool, um, really really cool team, I would say. And like, it just it, uh, like I watched also one of his stream games that I didn't have the opportunity to watch since I was playing in day two, but he played against Melvin on stream. And in game uh -huh. two, he led Breloom Salazzle into Groudon and Xerneas, and it just seems like the most backwards lead. You have these two frail offensive Pokemon, and uh, Jamie came out on top with that lead. These two <laughs> little guys, uh, very weak to the opposing <laughs> restricteds, and Jamie ended up winning that game. So if you, want to, if you haven't already seen that, do go watch to see how that happens. I think it was amazing. Yeah, like, speaking about Jamie as a player, like, from, uh, I guess when you look, uh, from far away, this is, you know, super creative as a player. Um, but for us, this is just, a, you know, classic Jamie. This is what he does all the time. So, like, no one's really surprised by this. Uh, maybe by the finish, if anything, um, using these really obscure Pokemon. But this is, uh, classic Jamie for us. And Berlum and Salazzle were also the only ones used in the tournament, which I guess, uh, which, you know, that's, Kind of a surprise, right? You wouldn't expect those to be um, being used in day two or making top cut, nonetheless. Yeah, and like the Salazzle had a uh, fling, not King's Rock, but Razor Claw, the same effect in general. And that was a way to deal with Lunala and just, yeah, some of the most creative choices in general on this. Uh, and yeah, just wow. Uh, a lot of other cool uh, teams that we saw in Top Cut, though, or not Top Cut, but just in general uh, in the tournament. You know, we got to see cool picks like Venusaur from Brandon Meckley um, with the Gracium Z. We got to see uh, Eduardo Cunha running Mega Aerodactyl. Um, 
which was a really, really interesting pick. Um, yeah, and then uh, we talked a lot about Snorlax with Aaron and his run. Um, yeah. A good amount of Shedinja. Yeah, Shedinja, you know, making multiple appearances in day two here, um, both on Ken's team and Melvin's for the top cut, right? Am I missing anyone else in the no, top No, not in top there? cut. Um, yeah, and then Davide Carrera also running the same six as Melvin. Um, it might have just been, no, there's more. There's like, there's a couple of sh- water, not water bugs, but just bugs. I wanted to say water bugs because sometimes they have a tap of finny doing things yeah, to them. Yeah, because soak. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I think, uh, Shedinja was an interesting choice that, you know, kind of plagued people throughout the season. Uh, really unsure whether it was a real threat or not. I think at this point you can say it was because I think it cut both the Germany and, uh, North American or the... Europe and North America International, as well as Worlds now? I don't know about the... Yeah, so Melvin cut um, Germany, right? The Europe International, and he also had Shedinja there? Yes. So yeah, I think Shedinja proved to be a uh, real threat that you just still need to consider when team building. Um, You know, it's just a win condition, right? So just uh, be conscious of it when building, especially for these next few months when we uh, finish up with Ultra Series. Now... Um, I want to just talk about uh, the Umbreon a little bit more here. So we uh, mentioned already how Umbreon, this was not the only one in day two. Um, let's see. There were, I think, in total, how many years? We said like five? Yeah, yeah five Umbreon five. in day two. Um, Hirofumi becoming a crowd favorite to win with the Umbreon in the finals. Um, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting pick because, like, that's not something you really expect, especially... Um, with its uh, stat distribution, but it really takes advantage of just being able to heal itself with the permanent uh, Desolate Land with Moonlight. And uh, Foul Plays, uh, you know, always good to just use your opponent's power against them. And I know in Hirofumi's set, he also had Helping Hand and Snarl. I don't know what all of the other Umbreon were potentially running. But mm-hmm. it was a really niche pick, um, you know, proved very helpful for uh, these players, especially Hirofumi. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that was really this year's uh, Pachirisu, as a lot of people have coined it, and it was just really cool because um, I didn't. I I'm, I'm not gonna try to take credit from anybody else, but I believe Hirofumi was the one who inspired all these Umbreon. Uh, he was laddering with it a lot, and very like semi publicly. He wasn't exactly hiding it away, and so um, people were like, "Well, he's the you know the Japan national champion. There's got to be some merit behind this idea," and they tried to take it and run with it too. Um, the next best player to uh, find success with Umbreon was uh, David Kutesh, who landed himself at 24th with an Umbreon as well on a uh, team that looks somewhat similar. Yeah, actually only one Pokemon different from the team uh, that Hirofumi nearly won with. Um, real quick, though, I think we got to give more attention to Naoto's team. Uh, Naoto? Um, yeah, Naoto's team, because we really haven't talked enough about it. I mean, we did say that it's the standard six, but, you know, I mean, he made a lot of uh, unconventional choices on the team that I think was really cool. Um, some things that have been pointed out to me is that apparently Double Z-Move has won Worlds every year, uh, which I think every year that Z-Moves have been uh, legal. Um, he had Tapu, or no, uh, Ferium Z on his Tapu Fini, which was a very cool pick in helping deal with some of the flying-type Pokemon uh, in the format, like Eveltal, Salamence, and Rayquaza, Pokemon that uh, Groudon has trouble dealing damage with with the Precipice Blades, as well as the Dragon Claw to help deal with some of those as well, just really doubling down on Mega Rayquaza being a favorite for the tournament. 
Uh, and then Lunala opting not to run a Z-move, instead going with the Culberberry to help against the ever-so-present common Dark-type Incineroar. And I guess in this case, uh, the finalist having uh, an Umbreon. But uh, yeah, just some really interesting, cool picks. Yeah, so you were saying how Naoto's stack attack would have had the other Z-move in the Continental Crush, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so these are like really cool picks because um, all these things are just things strategy a strategy that uh players would not expect right so you're caught off by you may be caught off by surprise in game one and then maybe just don't have enough time to make those adjustments in game two or uh three if you do win to you know kind of you know pull it out against Nayoto mainly because it's just like these aren't things you weren't you were necessarily ready for and it's just like how do I deal with this now I have to make like on the fly game adjustments um and, and like so, uh, not the another most... thing I want to so another thing I just wanted to uh, talk about here was uh, James Beck's team, um, which was essentially the same six Pokemon he's been using for the entirety of um, the 2019 season, not just Ultra Series, the 2019 season. He brought these same six Pokemon in Kyogre, Xerneas, Tornadus, Katana, Incineroar, and Amoongus throughout uh, all, pretty much most of those internationals, right? And uh, the Kyogre just changed from whatever item is holding previously to the Primal Kyogre. And, you know, a bunch of movesets and items have changed as well, I'm sure. But it's just so, so cool to see that, like, this one, he's just used this one team throughout mm-hmm. the entire season, despite all the changes throughout the format, formats. And he was still able to have, you know, so much success with it. And especially here at Worlds, um, where everyone knows essentially, like, what this team does. Yet he's self-propelling himself uh, to a really high, really high good finish here. So it's just super cool to see that you know picking with sticking with one team, one archetype can be really beneficial. Beneficial because you learn you pretty much learn every in and out about it if you're playing with it for that long of a time. Yes. Um. Yeah. James's team very cool that he was able to basically take something from. Uh, all, you know, basically something he's so experienced with and just bring that to such success. It really just shows that uh, team familiarity can bring you very far and it's not always about coming up with the most, like, out there call. Uh, obviously, his team was one of a kind in day two, you know, nothing else quite like it, but still just um, using that familiarity that he had built up for so long to drive him so far. It's just really, really cool to see a... Uh, a whole season end like that where James had had so much success this whole season long and to fi- finish that third at Worlds with that is really, really cool. Um, yeah. A team then, that uh, I, th- really I would quick. say is... Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. I was going to just drive us somewhere else though, which is uh, just very interesting. Um, looking towards the bottom, um, I don't want to draw too much attention to the people that didn't have a lot of success, but um, this is just kind of bringing it back to where, um, you know, you got to find that perfect run, you know, that that strong schedule, be a bit lucky into. And we see, uh, for example, Paul Ruiz, um, he went 0-3 drop, but he had five of the same six as the winning team. He had a different restricted in uh, Necrozma Duskmane versus uh, Lunala. But, you know, a lot of the same Pokemon may be making some similar calls to the tournament meta, but still was just not able to find it. And then uh, another example uh, that I wanted to highlight is just Ashton. Uh, again, not trying to draw too much attention to players who had rough tournaments, but just Ashton's team was very out there using the Solgaleo-Lunala combo, which nobody, nobody had even touched. And it was a very interesting, cool combo. Unfortunately, not working out for him. Um, 
just very interesting that uh, I think it's worth noting that, you know, maybe Ashton went too far. Maybe he, you know, came up with this cool call that was supposed to be super different and unprepared for, but went too far out of the box. And so, like, sometimes, I mean, the team that won Worlds was very, very typical. It's just a reimagined uh, movesets and item slots and stuff on the six Pokemon. So sometimes you uh, you can stray too far from the conventional and... Uh, that can be where it, where you end up. It really just comes down to what kind of tournament run you end up, what kind of bracket you face, players you face, matchups you face. Uh, there's so many variables. Yeah, yeah. Like you were saying, just pairings and you know how well uh, they how well they play in those games. So you know maybe they didn't have the best days as players. So um, you know didn't do too hot. When that's okay. Like we know these are very strong players. Ashton was the as you know two time international champion, and he was I think the number one. Um, Championship point um, person uh, for this season for North America. That's what he. Yeah, that's what he's been. You know, dubbing himself the number one championship point person. Yeah, he, so he holds. He that did title. that this season, and then uh, you know you can't really question Paul Ruiz's skill. Um, you know, world champion from last year. So, um, yeah, just just rough days for them, and you know, uh, several other players. And that's all right. That's you. You won't be successful all the time. Um, I wanted to throw back to. Uh, just fellow American Stephen Mia, Maya? I don't really, I don't know how to pronounce the last name. Fellow Stephen but, M. Um, who finished in the top eight with a similar team to James, uh, just the Kangaskhan instead of the Kartana. So it's still Xerneas, Kyogre, uh, Tornadus, Amoongus, and Incineroar. Um, that, you know, finished in the quarterfinals. Um, the point I was trying to make is that, you know, we couldn't see all some of those games on stream, so uh, it is unfortunate and... You know, I would have loved to see what happened in that quarterfinal. You know, Steven would be able to bring that up for all of us to, you know, provide us details on that. But um, otherwise, you know, great finishes by, um, you know, just uh, from from the American team here. You know, we had James in the semifinals, Steven, make Steven Maya in uh, the quarterfinals, and then we had Ken, Aaron, and Brandon Meckley finishing in top 16 there. So, I mean, we have it here in our notes, Steven. Why don't you just go ahead and break it down by country? For the uh, top 16. Yeah, we've already uh, talked about this last time, but um, otherwise it was just like we had a... Uh, we, we talked about this last episode, but we'll just bring it up again. But we have uh, five from the United States, four from Japan, two from Australia, two from Spain, and one each from Great Britain, Italy, Brazil, Portugal, and Singapore. So, uh, you know, nice variety of, uh, of uh, country diversity from all across the world. And I think we've hit every rating zone as well. Um, except for Korea, for South Korea, but, you know, just wasn't their tournament. Um, you know, we saw, we, we saw them in there. We saw, I believe, Wansok Jang, um, play somewhere in here in the standings. I know I saw his name or no, sorry, wrong player, wrong player. We saw, uh, I'm not, oh gosh, I'm scared of this name here in 33rd. Uh, <laughs> Jung Sung Ja, maybe? Sure. But yeah, um, you know, Sajin Park didn't end up, uh, doing too well in, uh, the day one, but actually, yeah, uh, Wansok Jung is here in 45th place, so, um, they were there, just didn't have the best of runs, but, uh, really cool to see a diverse cut, uh, again, this season, this, uh, this World Championships, um, just showing how strong the player base is now, um, across the world. Yeah, and then, uh, the, I mean, there's a bunch of other, you know, cool tacks and picks that we see here in, uh, the day two. But, I mean, we probably don't have time to cover all of them because, you know, everybody pulled out the all the stops, tried to, you know, come up with the coolest calls for this tournament. So, 
Um, if we spent time analyzing every team, I'm sure we could get a lot out of it. But, I mean, we don't always have all the info. So, uh, really cool. Just to make sure, again, we're going to plug VictoryRoadVGC.com. Uh, uh, just check them out if you want to see the results in the teams um, to see what they look like. And then uh, I'm sure, you know, the top eight or so is broken down further uh, in further detail on Pokemon.com at this point. And also keep an eye out for various people posting reports of their runs and uh, the teams they've used the this season, this World Championships. Um, we still have a bit more Ultra to go, so the format's not over. Um, there's still going to be more uh, to develop. We're going to see how people react to Worlds in the upcoming Regionals. And yeah. Yeah, and just uh, speaking of all of that is that how... Um, I feel like a lot of people with these next few regionals coming up, you know, we have one in Europe coming up in about two weeks, so that's very soon. Um, similar to years past, we're gonna have a lot of Worlds teams, you know, popping up once again at these first few regionals in September, and then we'll probably see the metagame develop a little bit even, a little bit more after that as well. Just wanted to really quickly point out before we transition over here to something else, uh, just the, you know, top 10 Pokemon in usage stats from day two. Uh, and really, it's going to be 11, um, because we have, uh, just going down the list here, we have uh, Incineroar, Xerneas, Tapu Koko, Groudon, Rayquaza, Tapu Fini, Salamence, Lunala, Kyogre, and Amoongus, who are tied with uh, 17 in usage, and Stack Attacker. So, these are really your primary Pokemon that you need to you know consider when building. These are the top 10 in usage overall. And then... You know, obviously there's a lot more in the metagame than just those Pokemon to prepare for. But um, just things to consider moving forward is that these have been, you know, the standard Pokemon all season. Uh, they probably continue, will continue to be. Um, just be, you know, prepared to bring out your own creative uh, choices. And again, like Alex mentioned earlier, it doesn't have to be in your Pokemon choices. You can, um, there's so much room to be creative. You can do that in your move slots with your um, stats. You can how you affect your stats with your EVs and IVs, uh, your item choices uh, is another big thing, and uh, you know just this maybe some kind of strategy you employ. Uh, but anyway, um, that kind of concludes our you know world's recap of the things we wanted to look at and talk about. Um, if anyone else, if you have uh, if any listener out there has more comments or, or questions or wants us to talk about some other team in more detail. And uh, Alex, as I'm scrolling down here a little bit farther, I said one more quick question before we move on. Mm -hmm. um, you had mentioned uh, Eduardo's uh, Mega Aerodactyl on his team. Um, I never, I didn't really get to see that on stream or anything. Uh, could you just tell me a little more about that? What do you know about it? Yeah, so uh, I believe Edu actually tested this in uh, NPA, a famous online tournament, uh, team tournament, and. Yeah, basically the move set was, I believe, unnerve in the main ability. If that's legal, I believe that is legal, because uh, unnerve is a cool ability that makes it so your Pokemon, opponent's Pokemon can't eat their berries. But once it Mega evolves, it is so ridiculously fast and good at getting up Tailwind. It gets um, rock moves to deal with uh, Pokemon like Incineroar, as well as just honestly spamming it for the flinches, um, and then Iron Head as a coverage move that gets the Tough Claw boost to hit Xerneas for solid damage after Tailwind is set up. Um, able to also get you uh, flinches just because, um, as much as it sounds like I'm just saying the team is fishing for luck, I, I don't think that's an accurate assessment of it, but it's something that Aerodactyl has going for it, uh, is that um, 
Xerneas very much enjoys free turns, and if you just kind of click Rock Slide, you're not even doing it much, much for the damage. It's just that you have a 51 chance overall of getting a flinch on one Pokemon, and those are solid odds if Aerodactyl stands, uh, stays around for a bunch of turns. And if not, Aerodactyl's likely already set up Tailwind and is given a uh, paid switch to uh, a partner in the back. Um, that's another term that I want to try to start using is because uh, we talked about this a bit. Maybe not on the podcast, but I've talked about this a bit with friends, Steven, but we always call it a free switch when uh, mm-hmm. a Pokemon is knocked out and you get to bring in a Pokemon in the back, but it's not exactly free. I mean, like, you did lose a Pokemon for it, so, like, uh, I think the reason I'm mentioning it now is because I heard it in Jamie Voigt's report that I uh, watched today, and he referred to something as a paid switch, and it still felt, sounded a bit forced, but, like, I mean, free switch is kind of inaccurate, so I'm gonna we're, we're going to try to create yeah. this move it. Well, uh, yeah, we'll definitely try. It uh, it 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 comes at a cost essentially. It's like a sacrifice fly in baseball. Like mm-hmm. you're you're advancing a runner up a base, but you're not uh, you're still getting an out for that inning. So yeah, um, if but anyone gets that it's, reference, sometimes it's the best move. Sometimes that's what you want. Yeah, but anyway, that's generally what Aerodactyl does. Is uh, it has Rock Slide, Tailwind. Iron Head and Wide Guard. Wide Guard being very cool to protect your Groudon from all the uh, spread moves. And uh, just in general, a general comment on a lot of the Kyogres in the format right now um, is they are running Water Spout and Origin Pulse, which I honestly think is a little bit greedy considering that, you know, it's a format with big, powerful restricteds. Wide Guard's going to have it use its use. But yeah, some Kyogres are completely blocked by Wide Guard, so they're forced to I- ways to turn Ice Beaming the Aerodactyl. And as I had mentioned, Taking out just the Aerodactyl for them is kind of a good thing, so. Yeah, very good point. And, like, Aerodactyl often um, wants to set up Tailwind and maybe doesn't need to use Wide Guard. Like, it has nothing better to do, so it's just going to throw Rock Slider, Iron Head, which both have the flinch chances, like you mentioned. Um, so, really quick on Kyogre. Um, you know, obviously, if you opt for the single target move, you, most people would probably choose Scald. How do you feel about going for Hydro Pump? Whoa, what the? Steven. Well, I mean, how like. You, how could you say that? What? It's, it's pretty much the same accuracy for uh, Origin Pulse. Yeah, but Origin Pulse is just so much damage on two guys. I know, but it's not... Hydro Pump isn't blocked by Wide Guard. Yeah, at that point, I think I would just opt to go for a Scald, I feel like. Yeah, I, I hear you. I just, I just want to say, like, before we got Scald in Generation 5, I believe, um, the only real single target move Kyogre could really use was Hydro Pump. So, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, like, I'm doing the math right now because I didn't remember it off the top of my head, but Water Spout is as powerful as hitting... It's actually more powerful than hitting both targets with Hydro Pump. Because, uh, even after spread calcs, yeah. Yeah, I get that, but it's like, yeah, the spread damage is important. Um, but not blocked by Wide Guard if you use Hydro Pump. Anyway, I would, uh, I'm just, just, uh, just wanted to, you know, talk about this a little bit. Um, I would personally still use Scald. Like, I would not be willing to take that risk you know skull birds are nice too so yeah absolutely definitely definitely worth it now um yeah so that pretty much uh is gonna cover our world's coverage and uh you know i've said this already before but um this is a this is you know this is a really fun world championships um we're gonna be moving on from here with uh more of ultra series and even though it's uh you know kind of uh in the books now this is a world we're probably going to be referring to for many years to come uh, as VGC continues to progress. So, um, it's not like this will just automatically disappear, much like, uh, a lot of the other worlds. So, um, Alex, let's move on to our next topic here now and just talk about, 
you know, our show here is coming to the end of its uh, season two of the end of the season here for 2019. But so essentially is the full 2019 season. So it's about to be about to turn September. We're entering the 2020 season now. Um, you know, you know, more full throttle, if anything. So I just want to do let's do let's review the year. Let's review the year, the 2019 season we had. So um, we had a lot of uh, things happen this year. Um, first, we had that big announcement at Worlds last year where uh, new format starts right away, September 1st, uh, 2018, where you're playing uh, the GS Cup in these new formats. So, Alex, uh, you can go ahead and uh, take us from here. Yeah, the years always feel so long when you break them down like this. But yeah, a year ago, uh, we started Sun Series where they banned all Z-moves and Megas, which I think was a really great breath of fresh air. The Fall was a new format. And I think it's one thing that we have been already spoiled on and uh, just going into Ultra Series in the fall here is looking so daunting for a lot of players. Um, I'm sure especially so for the players that started in the 2019 season, hoping for something new uh, once the World Championships has ended. But now here we are going back into Ultra. But as that aside, um, we started with Sun Series and it was really cool, um, especially in those first couple of weeks because we had so many new toys uh, to check out. We had not yet gotten to play with Solgaleo and Lunala. And another Pokemon I want to toss into the bunch here is um, Zygarde Complete Form. I think it was just a fun choice to look at uh, going into the season. We have not played a legendary format where the 50% berries had existed. And, of course, those were everywhere in this first season where no item slots were taken up by... Uh, you know, your Z crystals, your form changing items, or your mega stones. So there was a lot of room for a lot of bulk. And even though the format was hyper offensive uh, with these very strong restricteds, we still got to see a bit of uh, creativity, especially so in the non restricted slots, allowing Pokemon like Ludicolo to shine again, or Pokemon like Ferrothorn. It brought Toxicroak out of the dredges, out of the swamps. And. Yeah, really, really cool uh, introduction to the 2019 season. Yeah, uh, and even like with in Sun Series, like um, when you consider the gosh, I don't want to call them genies, but the you know Tornadus, Thunderous, Landorus, um, those three. Oh, you mean you know, the genies? Yeah, those genies. Those genies is what I'm talking about. I know they have like another proper name for them. The um, I don't know. Any anyway, well, I'll just call them the genies. But um, this season. Like, you know, in the past, you know, Thunderous would have been the best of the three in the group. Um, and in the past, Landorus would have been the best of the three in the group. This year, I think it easily goes to Tornadus. And it was really cool because it was not a Pokemon that a lot of people had given much thought uh, at that point. I know. You know? <laughs> I've looked it up, Steven. It is the Kami trio or Kami trio. Yes, that's right. Thank you very much. They have, uh, you know. Properly known as the Kami Trio, we call them genies because, you know, the way they uh, originally were introduced to us, you know, riding in their clouds with their arms crossed, um, like uh, regular, how you envision genies, I guess, sure. Yeah, so, uh, Tornadus, that was, that's a very good point to bring up. Um, we also got to see, um, you know, people testing out these new restricteds to good success. We saw... Um, Ashton kind of just dominant Ashton and uh, Jeremy Rodriguez. They dominated Memphis with the new duo of Xerneas and Lunala, uh, proving that, you know, Xerneas and Groudon are not the like 
only like Groudon wasn't the only partner for Xerneas and that there was other ways to do it. Obviously, people were also experimenting with Xerneas Kyogre. Kyogre got thrown back into the mix and uh I'm sure you're very familiar with it, Steven, but we got to, a lot of people got to experience it for the first time. Uh, Scarf Kyogre really asserting its dominance. Yeah, like, um, it just really took hold of the format, uh, from pretty much day one, right? Um, that was something your team needed to be ready for. Uh, really strong to use too. You know, yeah, all the way back in 2010, this is what Kyogre was doing back there. Um, if it wasn't on a Trick Room team or doing something else, uh, which, I guess it makes sense, because what else would you be doing it with it? But anyway, yeah, uh, Kyogre was very strong during the Sun series, and when I was, when I, when I was, when I was paying attention back then, um, all I could see was Kyogre everywhere and doing, you know, serious amounts of damage, even with, um, because the regular Sun doesn't just, uh, take away the use of water moves, um, that water spot to Groudon is still doing, like, what, 40-50%? That's a really big chunk, even in the Sun. So, you know, that's just how strong Kyogre was, and, you know, probably because of the presence of Groudon and Kyogre um, so much with their weather abilities, and with Groudon still being a pure ground type, you know, it really gave grass types uh, a prominent role in these first two series before they uh, got the uh, uh, primal forms. Yeah, so the uh, speaking of grass types, that was one Pokemon I wanted to mention. Uh, Serena got to kind of show its head for the first time in i think all of sun and moon series really uh, or sun and moon um the games that is so 2017 2018 and the 2019 full season um in a format where fake out uh really is just so important we got to see that blocking fake out is also very important um and tapu lele wasn't the only pokemon that could do this and also tapu lele had no way to prevent e uh fake out into Pokemon such as like flying types and so uh really cool uh to see and then it also just had like faint and helping hand grass moves being very valuable um and yeah then things didn't change a whole lot as uh I'm gonna go ahead and move us over to moon series now Steven but uh yeah we transitioned and they allowed us to have uh they allowed us to have z moves and uh, it did allow some Pokemon to start uh, shining. Um, now, uh, you said Tornadus. I think Tornadus didn't actually take off until Z-Moose were introduced, so in Moon series. Um, and it allowed Lunala to just really shoot to the top. Um, once they allowed Lunala its very strong Z-Move, people realized that, wow, yeah, that's a real strong Z-Move. Uh, but, you know, like, there was a lot of other common picks i'm trying to remember some of the best z moves in uh moon series besides like things like lunala <sighs> yeah um hmm I, I feel like we've talked about this before but probably like lunala's was up there um i'm sure tapu coco was a popular choice again um i don't know was uh did groudon use it ever really or did, did they did they still infrequently run different items? i infrequently uh another pokemon that i think i want to mention before we move uh just jumping back to sun series and it was also relevant in moon series was venusaur uh, you know, just Pokemon in general taking advantage of the weather abilities lasting for five turns as opposed to lasting while the Pokemon is present on the field. Uh, that was a big difference maker. Um, but yeah, in terms of like common Z moves, eventually Tornadus did start appearing and becoming very important uh, with its fly Z. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure there were other Z moves, but I am currently blanking. <laughs> That's right. Moon series was uh, a while ago here, and you know you had your run in uh, Collinsville again. 
uh, where you finished in second against uh, in that regional with your team there, um, which I think you also had Serena on there. Is that right? I did. I did have Serena, but for a different purpose, paired with Groudon and, uh, I mean, still blocking priority moves, but blocking priority moves while in Trick Room instead of uh, next to a Scarf Kyogre or something. Yeah, so Serena got a nice chance to shine in the early part of the season. You know, kind of spilled over in really a really small dose at the start of Ultra Series, and then eventually, like, it's just vanished, it's disappeared. Um, You know, Serena's nowhere anymore. (laughs) And I, honestly, I feel I kind of feel bad for it because it's not. I don't see it coming back for the rest of Ultra Series either. No, no. I mean, uh, none other than Justin Burns was the one who was able to make it shine. But even then, he wasn't able to bring home the regional title. Um, still surprised, honestly, that he was able to do so well with it. But yeah, just um, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm still uh, checking, and I guess yeah, Tornadus did have some presence uh, in Sun Series. My m- memory is just escaping me. I guess it was Focus Sashed back then, or uh, something like that. But uh, yeah, that's that sounds right. Because even though, um, even though like James's team from which we saw the Worlds here, the Amoongus had the Focus Sash. Um, Tornadus mm-hmm. back then probably would have had the Focus Sash there. Amoongus probably would have had the uh, Pinchberry. Um, and then, or uh, Piapa Berry and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, then eventually the Fly Fly Inanium Z would move over to Tornadus. Um, so, yeah. Off of the Amoongus, just... of course. Yeah. Yeah, you moved the Z Crystal <laughs> away. You said you, you moved it over from from who? Oh, Amoongus? I guess. Oh, yeah, I guess. Uh, there, so there would have been no Z Crystal in general. So yeah, you yeah. put the moved Z Crystal. Moved it from the box. Or the yeah, item gotcha. Bag. Yeah, you move it from your bag to Tornadus and then. Um, that Focus Ash moves elsewhere to Among Us. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, there's a lot of dominance in Moon Series, and, um, by that I mean, like, with some of the teams you saw there, and just, um, even though that was the shortest series we had, it only lasted three months from January through the end of March. Um, it, like, the general opinion I was getting is that a lot of people were not fans of Moon Series, um, probably because of the Z, were the Z moves being too, were, is it just too strong? Were those too strong and there's just too hyper-offensive that you just couldn't really play the game if you made a mistake? Like, what was the deal there? I think it was a bit of that as well as uh, people just weren't big fans of um, how similar it was to Sun Series. And though Z-Moves were important additions, they did not change the types of teams we saw a whole lot um, we got, like, we still saw a lot of the same Pokemon, whether it was, um, you know, Incineroar and, like, Xerneas and Kyogre were all still doing the same thing despite the Z-moves, you know, Groudon and, like, Lu- like Lunala was really the main Pokemon that got to experience this shift. Gotcha. See, I wonder how different things would have been if they had, uh, kind of introduced the items in reverse order. So, in this case... You can, they, in the Moon Series, instead of bringing back the Z Crystals first, they brought back the Mega Stones first. You would still ban Dragon Ascent. You just bring back all the other Mega Stones. I wonder how the format would have looked instead. Yeah, I mean, it would have been fun, I think, to like, I, well, I say it would have been fun, but like, you know, we'd have to see, but I think it's just interesting to think about, yeah, what that format could have been. Yeah, so these were, uh, that was Sun and Moon series, you know, just, we're doing just a quick synopsis over these. It was nice to have this, uh, you know, kind of quick fire change over these, uh, few months, and then Ultra Series starts up in April, and that's where we are today, uh, still running through Ultra Series. We will be running through until 
the uh, beginning of January when eventually we do switch over to Sword and Shield. And um, so I think that's a uh, correction from last episode. I think that's like nine months in total instead of eight. But, you know, you get the idea. It's a, it's a long period of time. Um, and, you know, longer for... Uh, it's, you know, it's typical for what our seasons have been in the past, but just very long compared to what we've gone through this season. Um, you know, speaking of another thing relating to the entire season is how travel awards, while they're still present, they were distributed and handled in a different manner. So, you know, we had those qualification periods. Um, overall, there was a general improvement. Um, how'd you feel about those? Yeah, so I, uh, I've got to experience both. And uh, we talked about this a bit in our episode with Justin Burns, but um, I think that it was a positive change and it allowed players to shoot for a single international as opposed to just all of them or nothing, really. And it allows players to catch up a bit more. Um, there's a lot of talk uh, right now going into the future season. We're having that same system in place where the... Uh, the different internationals uh, travel awards will be rewarded based on the points earned in the different cycles, essentially. However, uh, locals are going to be a little bit different this time around. And we, we talked about that when they were broken down, but it's going to be like six uh, premier challenges and mid seasons just for the whole season, I believe. And the, we haven't quite learned what that's going to be like for the future. I know we're talking about the 2019 series as a wrap up, but I just, uh, I think it was better. I think it was an improvement. Um, however, I think now going forward, we might be taking a small step back, but it's mostly going to be the same going forward. So uh, if you liked it this past season, good for you. If you didn't, uh, that sucks because it's here to stay. Um, and yeah, I've given my thoughts on the Travel Awards in general. I have enjoyed taking advantage of them, but uh, overall, I'd just love to see them go. Yeah, I know those, those are one of your hopes from uh, a, way, a way back, but uh, yeah, they're still here. And, you know, it, does, it is nice that there is these different uh, cycles, essentially. They do breathe light, new life into the players every time the cycle starts. Because it's like, oh, now I have an opportunity here. Let's uh, let's go to this regional. Let's go play in the locals. Let's try and amass points here so that maybe I get a chance to, uh, you know, get a travel award or stipend to go to that next international, which um, can be real ap appealing for a lot of players out there. So I think um, it is something that can will keep uh, your top players coming Keep coming, keep them coming back to tournaments, and it's something for uh, any players who would like to, you know, hop on the snowball, quote unquote, um, kind of like you did this past season. It gives everyone an opportunity um, to do it compared to the past two seasons from 2017 and 18, where it was uh, very hard to keep up, extremely hard, uh, very difficult to keep up. And uh, real quick here, while we are just talking about the 2019 series as a wrap-up, I just kind of wanted to jump on a personal stand just about myself, really, um, since, I mean, I think it's this is an okay platform to do so, but I just wanted to kind of talk about what my 2019 season was like. Um, I'm a very serious competitor, and so I do have high standards for myself, so... For those of you that are like, wow, Alex, that was like, you know, a great season. Or for those of you that have higher standards than me and say, wow, your season's nothing worth talking about. Uh, I'm just basing it off of my own personal standards. But I think I had a pretty solid season. I was able to uh, start the season off by getting like ninth at Memphis. And then I ended up cutting two regionals in uh, the Moon Series. And uh, that was something that was really cool for me. I've never cut two regionals in a single season. So uh, I was very happy to have such success there. I was able to earn a travel award to the U.S. International Championships. Those regionals I, were in a row, too, weren't they? 
They were back-to-back as well. Yeah, were those two regionals in a row that you attended? Yes, and I think just in general they were. I don't know if there was any regionals between them. But also, but for my personal sake, yes, they were back-to-back regionals. Um, and I've never done anything like that, which was really cool. I went on to get top 16 at nationals, falling just shy of achieving the day two buy again, but I was able to earn day two again through worlds. And so overall two regional cuts, a top 16 at nationals and day two worlds, I think are all pretty solid achievements to have in a single season. None of them are just above and beyond like the biggest thing to me. That's the thing I think that like doesn't make the season amazing, but I think it was great and I'm really happy with it. So I just wanted to kind of like get that out here as we're wrapping up 2019. Yeah. And I'm glad you're satisfied with all that. And not, you know, I don't need to flatter you here. Um, I know how good of a player you are, but uh, you know, you, good job this season. So um, hope to see you coming back strong and stronger for the next one coming up. Yeah. So uh, a little personal blurb, but uh, today I was watching a lot of uh, old 2017 sets of mine, just going through uh, YouTube and, oh, man, I really missed that format. That was so much fun. And, like, it was my best, uh, like, it was, I think, my favorite format because of how much, like, you could do in it. And watching those has just gotten me so psyched for Sword and Shield, for the limited decks coming up again. I just, and so many positive things, looking like, looking forward to, like, all the things they're doing to establish a metagame. I'm just so, so much more excited to see what we're going to be able to do in these games. Yeah, I think probably some of the biggest excitement right now for that is, you know, coming from the new consoles, you know, being on the Switch, like, that is a really big change there. And another thing is just the unknown. There's so there's still so much unknown that we do not know about that that is really exciting just to learn, you know, what new moves, abilities, Pokemon, uh, mechanics changes um, that, are, that we're going to see. So that's one of the most exciting parts about every new generation. And I hope this excites a lot of newer players to jump into the game as well because uh, we've had new players every season. Um, have, uh, have their first, you know, coming in their first years, have breakout seasons, do really well in these tournaments. So I'm looking forward to see who our, you know, stellar new face is going to be for, uh, 2020. And, you know, uh, every, you know, pretty much every week, but I was going to say like every year we have a lot of like talk, uh, and discussion in the community about like what needs to be done to improve things, what can be done better or what, uh, what should have been changed coming into the season. Um, not to drag attention from all that away, but like the thing that I am most concerned with is just how tournaments are going to be run on this, on the switch. Like we're going to be making a big transition this, uh, not fall, but you know, once the new year rolls around and I'm very nervous, Steven, I know that they have people right now working on this transfer, but I still just don't know how it's going to go. I feel like it's going to be rocky to start and I'm very terrified, but at the same time, extremely interested in how that transition is going to go. Yeah. This will be uh, very interesting. Um, I can't remember, like, did we have issues when we first started on Sun and Moon on those cartridges on the 3DS? When we started uh, 2017? I, I feel don't like we know. did have issues. Something, some, there was something weird that happened with all those. I know for Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, there was like a patch that everyone needed. There were like a, several connection issues uh, when you started in the 2018 season or something. Or the 2018 format, excuse me, on Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. So. Um, I could, you know, I would anticipate some of those arising again. You never know what's going to come up with uh, technological Those are just um, new games, drawbacks. Steven. This is new games, and we're going to be using new consoles for tournaments. I know. This is uh, pretty massive. This is uh, going to be very, you know, yeah, it's going to be a massive change. 
not much more to say about that. So yeah, very, 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 very exciting. And then one last thing we wanted to just, uh, you know, it's not really anything to argue or, well, I guess you can complain about it, but nothing much to argue here. It's just uh, kind of a fact that entry fees are still around in the scene. Um, they're roughly the same price, uh, may have gone up a little bit um, from past years. And, you know, it, it can be rough on the wallets of our players here. But, you know, these are kind of just standardized things across uh, just competitive gaming in general. So, you know, I'm I'm fine with it. It's okay with it. You know, our early VGC years, we all those tournaments were free. So these are still, you know, relatively new. And just a fun fact to point out is that with, uh, I know there was a lot of gripe with some of the prices increasing to like 55 or 60 bucks um, versus maybe like the 30 or 40 we used to be paying. But so it's, and everyone would always argue how like, how can we have the uh, price to pay to play be more than the game itself we're playing on, on Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon? Well, now you can say, oh, it's the same price as uh, Sword and Shield, which is going to be $60. Yeah, and Steven mentioned this uh, this point to me before the show, and I just don't know what to say about it. But now, hearing it a second time, I do have something to say, and that is, what if they just make the prices higher than the games again? No! <laughs> what if we go up to 70 <laughs> See, or $80? Yeah, now it's now it would just be getting unreasonable. But you could also argue the same thing for the fifty to sixty dollar price range. I don't know, like it's, it's, I feel it's kind of like super pointless to talk about this some more. But <laughs> um, yeah, entry fees—they're here. Whatever. Let's uh. I, Whatever. I, I, I feel we should <laughs> move on. <laughs> I'm fine with just running away from this topic because it sucks, but we're here and there's nothing we can do about it right now. Yeah, I mean, the overall prize pool has increased for, you know, every regional level tournament now, so there this that's something we did not used to have in the past, is that most of you would get cards and uh playmat. Um but otherwise like no real prize money or anything. And um instead of uh getting well you still get trophies, but instead of getting like uh three DSs or other systems or games, now you're getting money. So that's cool too. For for the top players, you know. Now, Steven, I don't wanna I don't want to, like, dig into our listeners here since they do love and support us so well, and I appreciate all of you, but I don't think we have anything from the listeners to talk about this week, and I feel like we always do. Like, I feel like we've had so much in the past couple of weeks that just having a week off is just, I'm missing it already. Oh, Alex, uh, <laughs> I feel you there. Yeah, well, I mean... All the stuff that people have sent in has been awesome so far, and uh, I'm not, like, you know trying to dig at anybody that uh, I'm just trying to say that I'm very grateful. It's just been so awesome to, you know, interact with you guys and talk about the things that you guys want us to talk about. Yeah, we absolutely love the feedback. And when you can present us some questions to, you know, talk about on the show. So those have been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, Alex, I didn't even realize that. But um, yeah, hopefully all of you have a lot of uh, things you'd like us to cover and discuss coming up for the 2020 season. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to cover. Um, yeah. I, w- I will do one thing since uh, we don't have anything exactly to talk about. Uh, we can talk about the one tweet I talked... Uh, I don't know if we actually talked about it before the show, but anyway. Uh, Nerd of Now, he did give us a little shout on Twitter just uh, with the latest Worlds discussion that's going on on Twitter. We we talked about this pa- like three weeks ago, but he just mentioned our little segment and said... Uh, for people to go listen to it, gave us a little bit of a plug, talked about the episode that we did with uh, Nick Navarre, or Nails, 
And, uh, yeah, we talked about all this a while ago, so if you wanted to hear our thoughts on the latest issues, uh, we actually are ahead of the game. That's right. And uh, that was Alex Collins, I believe. Thanks very much. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Well, yeah, Alex, uh, I think that'll do it for uh, our show here uh, for season two as well. You know, it's been it's been fun coming back, coming back on the air, you know, after being out for so long. Yeah, and honestly, just talking Pokemon every week has just been really, really fun. Uh, we've just had so much to talk about lately, and uh, don't think that it's going to slow down in the fall. Like, now this is when Steven and I get to explore the things that aren't current events. We get to talk about, you know, all kinds of different past things, or like overarching concepts in VGC, different, like, like you know, breaking down thought processes, team building, or whatever have you. Just all kinds of things, you know, tournament structure. What like There's just so many things uh, to talk about. Yeah, and of course we have those regionals in the 2019 portion, or uh, the 2020 season portion, you're still using Ultra Series, so we'll obviously still cover those as well. But just so that nobody's worried, we will be coming back for Season 3 um, very shortly. I don't think we're really going to have any breaks at all, so you'll just see us back very, very soon. It won't make a difference to you guys, it's just a formal title. <laughs> yeah, uh, so we'll obviously, we'll introduce this again next next episode. Uh, to officially announce, you know, start of season three. What a hooray! Um, but with all that, we would like to just acknowledge here quickly our season two guest list, who you know helped make this show possible, helped it make it um, a lot more fun for everybody. So uh, our guests from season two, we want to thank you, say thank you, and acknowledge Aaron Trailer, Aaron Zhang, Chuppa Cross, Gabby Snyder, Jake White, Jonathan Evans, Justin Burns, Kamal Harris. Nick Navarre, and Tommy Cooleen. Thank you all so much for uh, joining us on Season 2, and we'll uh, see what happens when we get to uh, Season 3. I'm sure we'll be lasting throughout the that entire year, and that's going to be a massive guest list, I'm hoping. And make sure to thank Steven for all of his hard work on the show. And Alex, thank you for, you know, being the best co-host out there. <laughs> appreciate for, just all your... for just coasting on your hard work. <laughs> uh, appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Yeah. I uh, I put in uh, several hours of work into the show, um, probably more than I should, but, you know, this is something I'm really passionate about and really uh, enjoy doing this project. So uh, it's been fun and it's been uh, a pleasure. And so thank you all to uh, for listening. Um, it's just been so great to be back. And uh, yeah, again, just look forward to more because uh, we're not going anywhere. Yeah. So with all that said, we will announce all of our things for the next season um next time and uh, any more changes or details that happen there but uh otherwise you can uh find us in all the places you can have uh, always found us before and that you can usually find us uh for now which is that you can send us your comments feedback and questions to our email which is vgchypervoice at gmail.com you can also find the show on youtube podbean itunes google play and spotify and remember, you can leave a review on iTunes. That really helps with visibility, helps others discover our show. And don't forget to tell your friends all about the Hyper Voice. If this is a show you think they would enjoy, that they would like, please, you know, share it with them. Let them know um, to, so that we can get ramped up for the next competitive Pokemon season. We're uh, starting up real, real soon. And then lastly, you can also find our show on Facebook at our Facebook group and follow the show on Twitter at the Hyper Voice. And lastly, you can also follow the two of us as well. Um, I am at Super Morioka, and Alex, where can people follow you? You can follow me at LexiconVGC. 
Oh yeah, uh, really quick, I just want to do a quick shout out to uh, Shimon Voidat from uh, who I met at the World Championships in Washington D.C. You know, he's a player from Poland as well as the rest of Team Poland who I got to meet there. Um, you know, I was you know actively searching for all of you, so I just want to give you all a shout out. Um, Does he also kind of go by uh, Simon? Yeah, I think his I, username I, is like Shimoniho. Shimoniho. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, Shimon uh, Simon is like kind of how you say it. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, Simon is how you would I guess you know say it uh, just in English, but uh, with all the Polish pronunciation, it is uh, Shimon. Yeah, Shimon. Uh, he uh, he was actually hanging out during my D and D game that I hosted at Worlds. Oh, rock on! So uh, yeah, yeah. Shout outs to uh, Shimon, Alex. Uh, anyone? Uh, any other? Anyone you want to shout out here at the end of our show? Absolutely nobody. Okay, cool. So this is uh this has been fun. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all so much for listening to uh, Season 2. And uh, we will be back with Season 3. Stay tuned for more of the Hover Voice. Alola. Alola.